you know if you've been with us, uh, we've been looking at the minor prophets over these last few weeks, um, and I've been chatting with Mick and um, about where, where we're going next, and uh, really feel it'd be good just for us to uh, dive back into uh, looking through a whole uh, book. Um, thankfully, it's not a majorly long book, um, but uh, we are going to go and have a look at um, probably one of the books that I find is uh, so encouraging for the church to hear. And uh, we're going to be looking at, at Philippines, and uh, we're going to be working sort of through this now up until the summer, and then probably just a couple of weeks into the autumn term after the summer break. Um, so we're sort of over the next few few months. Uh, Mick's also going to be doing a, a, a separate series that he's working through on uh, Samson. Uh, but the rest of us are going to be looking at Philippines and hopefully helping all of us to uh, hear what Paul was saying to this church. Let's pray, shall we? Uh, and then uh, we'll get into God's word. Father, we want to thank you for your amazing grace towards us. We want to thank you, Lord, as we come before you. You speak so tenderly to us. Lord, you remind us of your love and commitment to us. Lord, thank you that all that we are is because of you. And Lord, all that we do is for you. Uh, so Father, I pray as we look at your word, as we come to this extraordinary epistle, uh, Lord, as we get into the heart of Paul the writer, as we get into the heart of the church in Philippi, uh, Lord, I pray that we would hear application for ourselves here in Weymouth. Father, that we would be excited by what we hear, what we see, what we read. And Lord, that you would speak directly into every heart present. I ask, Lord, that you would help us apply this to our lives. Lord, that we wouldn't just be rich in knowledge, but Lord, that we would be bowled over again by your amazing love towards us. Come on us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I'm not, not going to take any liberties that everybody sort of knows the stories, uh, story of Philippines and how it all came about. So we're going to look a little bit at that this morning just to give you the context of how this church came into being. Uh, and then we're going to look at the first few verses in chapter one uh, of, of this book. But if you know anything about Philippines, uh, it's often talked about, uh, have you heard the sort of phrase, co coffee cup verses? So coffee, coffee cup verses are the sort of verses that you, when you go into a Christian bookshop and, uh, and you see on a coffee cup, they, oh, that's a nice verse. I'll have that one on my shelf. Well, Philippines is sort of full of coffee cup verses. Things like to live is Christ, to die is gain is in this book. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is in this book. And of course, most famously, probably in chapter two, is the, the, the song of praise that Paul uses to explain about Jesus's humility, who gave everything up for us, is in this book. It is full of great truths, but it is also full of hard-hitting stuff. And his message to the Philippines basically is this, joy no matter what. Joy, no matter what your circumstances, you can find joy. And he's writing this book from jail, which is why we've got a little picture of uh, some cell bars there. Now, 
by the wonders of modern technology. Hey! Okay, so a little bit of ge geography to start us off, just in case you have no idea where uh, Philippi is. Uh, top left-hand corner, just there. So this was uh, on Paul's second missionary journey. So he started out here in Antioch and made his way through Asia Minor and eventually over here into Macedonia and then back through to Jerusalem and Antioch. That was the route he was taking. Now we're going to read the passage from Acts. So the book of Acts is all about the Acts of the Apostles, what they did after Jesus ascended. And in that book, we see the story of how the church plant originally came to this far-flung city. Now, Philippi itself was a major metropolitan city. It was an important route um, on the what was called the Ignatian Way. It was a major highway. It was an important city for Paul to get to. It was a Roman colony. So it was more Rome than Rome, people often say. I guess if you, has anybody been to Gibraltar? So Gibraltar, I would imagine, is more British than Britain. You know, it's just archetypal Britain. Well, Philippi was a little bit like that. It was more Rome than Roman. So let's have a look at how this church came to being. So this is from Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read, going to read all the way through because I thought I could try and jump, but I'd mess it up. So let's read it all through together. What did I say? Okay, it is in 16 as well. <laughs> Acts 16. Are we in Acts 16 or have I put that wrong? It is 16. I've got it 16. I've just got 20 in my head for some reason. Acts 16. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phygeria and Galatia, as we saw, having kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Let's just go back. So they've been traveling through here. They wanted to get into Bithynia, but Jesus would not allow them. They get to Troas, which is here, which is where Paul has this vision. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. I just want to pause at that moment. It's really, really important for all of us to continually be open to what God is saying to us. Do you know what? We can have the best programs. We can have the best plans. We can have the best activities as a church. But if we forget to listen, we will miss what God is saying to us. You know, and I just in your own walk with God, in your connect groups as a church whole, just really implore us just to keep our ears open to what God may be saying to us. And when he speaks, we want to follow. Just as we heard in the Old Testament with the cloud, when the cloud went, the Israelites went. When Jesus speaks, we want to follow him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once 
to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So this is his motivation. It's not because Philippi is a nice place to go and it's got the best shops. He's going because he wants to preach the gospel. That's the whole purpose of his journey. So from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. And from there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. So he's looking for a synagogue. That's what Paul's looking for. We sat down and we began to speak with uh, the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She's a businesswoman. She's also a worshipper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, if this isn't any encouragement for us to come and hear what Russell's got to tell us about training and planting churches and so on, this is it. He's just out in the high street. And he has this encounter with this lady, Lydia. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us over to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she says, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we met a female slave. So he's met a businesswoman. And now he has met, if you like, at the other end of the economic scale, a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I love that. He became so, so human. He became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left. Simple encounter with a lady on the street, commanded the spirit to go, and it left her. When her owners of the slave girl, realized that their hope of making any money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. After midnight, Paul and Silas weren't grumpy. They weren't moaning. They weren't downbeat, but they were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wouldn't it be nice to have some of those questions? They've been observing. They've been watching what Paul and Silas are doing. Their whole mannerism of they're in jail for something that they didn't do. And yet they're still praying. They're praising God. and Everybody's watching. And suddenly this miracle happens. And they're saying, guys, what do I have to do? What is it that I need to do to be saved? They replied, this is so simple, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke of the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then he immediately all, and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us. I love this. So good. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. And after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the other brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Amazing story of what happened at the birth of the church in Philippi. Matt Chandler, who's a, uh, a pastor in uh, America, he wrote this. He says, this is how the Philippine church begins. With a Jewish businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a blue-collar ex-GI duty bound to the Roman Empire. Probably not your dream church planting team, but the Spirit works in strange ways to utterly redeem the unlikeliest and the most diverse people. We see in the backstory of Acts 16 in the beautiful reconciliation that the gospel achieves, not just of unholy individuals to a holy God, but superficially incompatible people to each other. Jesus takes strangers and makes them family. I love that. He takes the likes of you and me, who many of you would be incompatible with me when I do my various stories of sport or whatever it may be. And you say, oh, here he goes again. You're incompatible, but because of Jesus, we have relationship. And that's what Jesus does through the gospel. He takes 
all sorts and brings them into a family. That's what we're part of, is a family. So let's flip over, if you can, in your Bibles to Philippines, uh, one of Paul's letters. So he's now, a few years later, probably 10 to 15 years later, after the church was started in Philippi, he's now writing to them. And he's writing out of a heart for them because he loves them. He knows them. He was there at the beginning. They are cherished friends. He's wanting to encourage them. And you see all the way through his letter, this amazing love he has. It just keeps coming over and over and over again to the church in Philippi. And I want you to, as you hear the, his love for the church, so God loves us in the same way. His passion is for us, and he wants to encourage us. Through the whole of the book, 16 times, Paul either uses the word joy or rejoice. Okay, we're going to get hearing that a lot of times, that he uses joy or rejoice. The Philippines bring him great joy, but he also wants them to be joyful despite their circumstances. Paul himself, as we will see, is in prison for preaching the gospel. And he is encouraging them, even though he is behind bars. Let's see what he has to say. Verse one. Actually, let's read the whole thing through and then we'll go back. The whole thing that I'm doing this morning, not the whole thing. <laughs> Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's way of saying, dear friends, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion into the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with affection, the affection of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Wouldn't that be encouraging if you receive that? I would be encouraged if I had that letter. Let's not rush over what Paul is saying. Paul and Timothy, verse 1, are servants of Christ. Now, servants as they would have understood it, would be more accurate in our understanding, would be the word slaves. So a servant would have been a slave, somebody who was absolutely committed to the person that was over them. Slavery, of course, was 
very prevalent in their day. And slaves were owned by the master. Hebrew slaves were owned for seven years and then were released. All other Gentile slaves and non-Jew slaves had no time limit on their encapsulation as a slave. And here Paul is using language that they would have been familiar with that we can often miss. And what he's saying is we are enslaved to Christ Jesus. He is our master. He's the one who is in charge of us. We're not doing anything else but for King Jesus. And so easy as we just read these opening verses. Oh, yes, servants of Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, we're all servants. No, no, these, these guys are absolutely committed to serving Jesus in their lives. Whatever they're going to do, Jesus is it. Paul is acknowledging that Jesus is his savior and that he himself, Jesus, has power over him. Paul has no rights. He is truly Christ's. This would have been incredibly powerful to the church. So as I write to you, I want you to know I'm doing this because of King Jesus and for no other reason. I'm not here to pass pleasantries. I'm here in chains because of the gospel. And they would have known this. He then compares his status or Paul's and Timothy's status to their status. And he says, to all the saints or to all God's holy people. This amazing transformation of being enslaved and yet you, church, you are seen as holy, consecrated, acceptable to God. I'm in chains for the gospel, but I'm writing to you. And of course, the, the whole nature of being holy is something that is so closely associated with God, particularly in the Old Testament. It's used a lot. Moses in Exodus 19, a holy mountain. The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. Exodus 3, do not come any closer, God said to Moses. Take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. A little bit further in Exodus, he says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As a sense of setting apart. That's what holy means. And then it's picked up into the New Testament, Peter. Famously, I think we looked at a little while ago, but you are a chosen people talking to the church. You're a royal people, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You've been set apart for God and his purposes that you may declare the praises of him. You who called you out of darkness into his light. See, when Jesus saves you, he moves you from this camp to this camp. You suddenly become from where you were to suddenly you're holy. Not because you are righteous in yourself, but because of Jesus and all that he's done for you. And Hebrews 10, 10 says this, And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once 
for all. That moment when, if you have taken that step of faith and asked Jesus to be your saviour, you are now presented as holy. Look at you. What a holy bunch. It's what we are. If you know Christ, it's what you are. You're set apart for him. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, Peter also says. The Philippines, we know, were started with a motley bunch. A businesswoman, a jailer, a slave girl, and I'm sure many other motley people were added to their crew. And he's saying, guys, you are holy people. And that's what he says to us. Okay, let's look at his opening thanksgiving that he brings. Verses three to five. I thank God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. Not because he's just, I remember those guys in Philippi. They were nice people. I remember them because they're partnering with me in the gospel. That's why I remember them. They're going about their lives in Philippi. They're mixing in amongst the businesses and out on the streets and with their neighbors. That's why he remembers them. He's so thrilled with them that they are looking to see this amazing gospel transform the city. Remember, Philippi is a metropolitan. It's a big place. It has the opportunity of infiltrating the whole region with the gospel. And so Paul's so excited about them because they are partnering with him in the gospel. This is his yardstick. This is what he measures about. I wonder if he was writing to us today what he would say. Well, he said, wait, my family church, I remember you because you've got fantastic new chairs. No, you've got a great building. No, you've got amazing musicians. Yes, no. <laughs> I remember you because of your partnership with me in the gospel. Remember that the heart of who you are is to reach people. It's to see people saved. And come into this amazing, that's my heart for you. I hope that's what he'd say to us. Praise God for blue chairs and an amazing building. But it's not what we're about. Evangelism is the top of Paul's agenda. And so often it can be down here somewhere. We need to make sure that we are characteristically always about reaching the lost. He was desperate. Paul was desperate to know, for people to know Jesus. And somehow in his enthusiasm for the gospel, we need to grab that for ourselves. I know what, what does your life look like in who you meet on a week by week basis? Where is the primary places you know there's an opportunity for God to do something with those who are far from him? Do you know what? It's hard. It is hard. Building relationships with unbelievers, building and being in places where there's those moments where God can work. Sometimes you just have to be bold and go for it. Other times, just by the presence of this Holy Spirit in you, God opens a door. I was just, uh, just reflecting my, this is my week this week. Obviously, I've been to work. I've been amongst 14 unbelievers in my workplace 
I've uh, not, I'm not preaching the gospel in all of these things, but these are where I'm connecting with people. I've spoken to both my neighbors on either side of our house. I've stood at a netball match this week as Jemima was playing and was speaking to a dad of another player. I've been in a spinning class. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Slow spinning. Beginner's spinning class, but it was a spinning class. And I spoke to the uh, instructor. And yesterday, I was down amongst 1,100 other people watching Weymouth play football. Being in amongst unbelievers, and in each of those places, I had conversations with people, just general conversations, but all the time I'm just, is there an opportunity? Is there something here that God's just going to open up? See, Paul's heart for the church is that we are people that take seriously the gospel and that we connect with people. If you're not connecting with people, can I encourage you to find something that you enjoy doing and go and connect with people? Do you know, they're not that scary. You know, particularly when they do the same things that you like doing. It's nice and easy. Nice. I know, I know Mike's not here this morning, but I saw in his um, Facebook this week, he's been watching steam trains. I just go and stand on a platform with loads of steam train buffs. They, you know, they talk all the same language. Just do it. Just find what is good for you and connect with those who are outside the faith. And believe God, he will open doors for you. So why does Paul have this joy as they're partnering in the gospel? His confidence is that God will do something amongst them. If we lose, I've underlined this in red, so this is important. If we lose our confidence in God, we will lose our joy. If we lose our confidence in God, we will lose our joy. Do you know, what? I've had to, as I've worked through those last few years, many of you know the story in terms of sort of being full-time and then going back to work and, 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 and handing over and all those things. And, and I know it's in God's plan, but I found that hard. And at times I'm just like, God, what? Have you taken me this through this? And I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. And there's times when I've just, I've questioned God. I've just like, did I hear wrong? Did I get it wrong? Did I, was I just so full of myself that I thought this was it? This is who I am. And suddenly you, you're in a different place. and and. Life looks a bit different, and, and I don't know all the answers. And many of you have had things that you work through, maybe health things, maybe financial things, maybe relationship things, whatever it is. And you say, God, this, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. This life looks a little bit different to what I thought it was. But if you lose your confidence that actually, God, even in the pain, you are still God. You don't lose your joy. Because I know God is God. He's sovereign. He's over all things. He takes us through stuff that we don't understand sometimes. If I lose that, you know, I've lost my joy. It doesn't mean I'm always happy, but I haven't lost my joy in who God is. And so when we can sing, how great is our God, we can sing that in pain and difficulty and heartbreak and loss because the joy of what God has given us. 
See, our lives are not shaped by how successful we are. You are created for God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That's what he wrote to the Ephesians for. That's what you're created for. Not created to do, big me up, look at me, aren't I great? But great, created to do good works. Don't let Satan rob you of your joy. Paul says, I thank you every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That is Paul's confidence. And his confidence is undergirded by love for them. I loved it. what Dick, if you were here last week and we had Dick Luther, Dick's passion for the love of God just oozes out of him. And uh, as he spoke um, from John about Jesus's love to Peter, I'll go through the whole story again. But in that, I think we all resonated in that moment where Peter had failed Jesus three times and three times Jesus Peter do you love me? She's this amazing self-sacrificial love that Jesus had for him. This is Paul's love for his church. He, he's motivated by love. He says in verse four, I always pray with, uh, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, being confident that he who began this amazing work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. He who started it will complete it. You will not be lost because he started. If he's breathed life into you, Jesus opened your heart. If he's done that, you are his. It's not, oh, I suddenly made a wise decision one day. And there was something of faith in, 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 in receiving Jesus. But he gave me the faith to respond to him. And he opened my heart. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about this love that I have for you since I have you in my heart. This is Paul's motivation for the church. I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or whether I'm out proclaiming, defending the gospel, doesn't matter where I am, I've still got love for you because you are partnering with me. And God can testify how long how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. God knows how much we love people. And you know, it really wasn't until I think I was baptized in the spirit after my conversion, when I knew the Holy Spirit had come upon me, that I had a love for people that I hadn't seen before. I like people. I like people. But I love to see God moving in people and particularly in seeing people come to faith. Just so exciting. So envious that I'm not talking to people on alpha tables because I love doing that. Just seeing these moments of Dan was telling me this morning, just as conversations he's been having on, on his alpha table and just how people are taking these little tippy toe steps. Of ah, oh, ah, oh, light bulb moments are coming on. We do it because we are motivated through love. So, Paul's prayer for the church 
This is what he's praying. This is what he says to you, Weymouth Family Church, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth and insight. Mick's already encouraged us about praying, being a praying church. I think it's good for us to pray prayers where we pray or in the sovereignty of God. So what I mean by that is, is, Lord, your word says, so therefore we pray. Lord, we fill ourselves on what you did in Philippi, so we now pray. Lord, you had a heart for this city. Lord, we have a heart for our town. Lord, you love to see people saved. We see that all through scripture. So we're going to pray, God, would you save those three people on Alpha? Lord, would you bring them into your kingdom? That's what we're going to pray. Because out of the sovereignty of God's word, we can fill ourselves with fuel and faith to pray. We pray for God to do the impossible. Only he can do it. We can't manipulate it, but we can pray it. So let's just take like, these last few moments as we come towards the close. What does he pray and how does he pray? Firstly, for abounding love. You know what abounding love looks like? It's more than love. It's abounding love. It's a bit more than normal. It's, it's love that goes on and on. It's not like, well, I'll give you a little bit of love and then I might change my mind. No, no, it's abounding love. It, it's expressive. It's like a balloon that you're blowing up. It's just there's, there's more love. There's more love. There's, there's more love to come. It's abounding love. When the family church, Paul wants us to have abounding love. A love for the lost. An abounding love for the lost. Do you know what? The law, the Old Testament law, was seen as glorious because it brought people to faith. Paul says in Corinthians, if the ministry that condemns men, talking about the law, so you should not do this, you da, 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 is glorious, how much more, how much more is the ministry that brings righteousness through the grace that Jesus has done it all? No longer do we have to sit under rules and regulations. He's done it all. He's fulfilled it all. And this grace that we have bubbles up into abounding love for the lost. That our love may abound, firstly. Secondly, that our knowledge and depth of insight. I don't want to just become very scholarly in the word. You know what I mean by that is that I study, and it's not wrong to study the Bible, of course not. But I don't want to just, oh, just I'm an expert now on the Bible and it's Greek and all those things. And those things are all important to understand. It helps us understand what the original writer was saying and, and all those things. I love all that study. But if I'm just about being scholarly, and it affects me with nothing in terms of my love for seeing people saved. Then why are we doing it? We do it because we love God and he loves people. Paul saying, I want you to partner me in the gospel. And as you do that, get to know me better. Get to know the word better. But don't do it just to become great scholars. As we read God's word, it reveals God's nature. And his nature is all love. It's love for us. It's love for others. Let's be 
people who hunger after God's word. Let's study. Let's get deep into God's word. But don't just become scholarly. Let it impact you in your day-to-day life as you see God at work through you. Thirdly, he says that you may be able to discern what is best. I loved it on our, we did a couple of weeks of membership course. And one of the things that we asked those who were looking about coming into members, uh, membership of the church was uh, just in terms of how they feel God's used them in the past, in their experiences and so on and so forth. And uh, just, you know, just by the Holy Spirit, they just feel what, what, where they've led and served and all those things. And um, you get, a, get the sort of, what I would say would be the more common answers. But somebody came up and said, do you know, what? I just really feel God's given me a spirit discernment. We don't, we need to be discerning people. And yet often it's something that perhaps we don't focus on. We focus on prophetic words and tongues and all those things. And those aren't wrong. We want to do that. Actually, we need discernment. And Paul's heart here is, church, be a discerning church. You know, be wise. Don't, don't, don't do things foolishly. I wrote down here, Christians should be the smartest people in the office. I don't mean that in intellectually smart, but actually the discernment in your workplaces, God's given you by his spirit discernment. And certainly things, as I go about my day-to-day business, I just need to perhaps listen or help or speak into, because he's given us these things. And Paul's hires for the church is be discerning. What is best? Actually, what is sometimes decisions we make in our day-to-day life is actually, Lord, is this the best thing for me to be doing? Is this the best movie to be watching? Is this the best environment for me to be in? Sometimes it is. But actually, there's sometimes when the Holy Spirit just, you know, you get that nagging little, oh, I just feel starting to feel a little bit uneasy now. It's discernment. We need to be a people that are discerning. Not because we're living under a legalistic lifestyle, that Paul says, I can do this and I can't do that. And Steve says, I can do this and can't do that. And Mick says, I can do this. No, no, we're discerning by the grace. We're saved by grace, not by laws, not by rules and regulations. We're saved by this amazing grace. This grace saves us. It makes us think differently and change how we respond to situations around us. It allows the truth of God's word to come to our lips and into our minds. Uh, fourthly, we discern what is best, that we may be pure and blameless. That's a hard one. There is this dual work going on in grace and yet discernment, which leads us to being pure and blameless. Now, I know that Mick is not pure and blameless. You know. I know I am certainly not pure and blameless in myself. But there is a heart within me under the grace of God that I want to be pure. And I want to do wise things. I want to make good decisions. That purity, a sense of the, my inner character. You, know, you think about how they purify gold and the, the processes it goes through. And it goes through, it goes through until it comes to this amazing pure gold. That's what we're called to do. It's this purity. So as Jesus sanctifies me by his spirit, as he makes me clean, 
It's once and for all, and yet this is an ongoing work. That one day, that I will stand before Christ and he says, Steve, you are pure and blameless. Through Christ's sacrifice, first and foremost. But actually, as I live my life, I want to live a way that is living a pure life. And being blameless is a sense of living a life without stumbling. You know, I don't want my lifestyle to make other people stumble. I don't want what I do to make it difficult for somebody to find Jesus. I want to be somebody who helps people on the road, not hinders them. And there's a sense that Paul says, as you live your lives as a church family, this isn't just for one or two, this is for you as a whole corporate body, be pure, be blameless. Lead people to help them on the journey to Christ. And how do we do that? Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes. Oh, sorry, I've missed a little bit. Pure and blameless for the day of Christ's coming. It's the day when we will be before him. He's got this long story, a long perspective coming. There is a day coming. God's perspective is being confident of this. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Our responsibility is to be able to discern and what is best and maybe pure and blameless. Jesus started it. That's his responsibility. Our responsibility is to live a life that's pure and blameless. How do we do that? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness is a fruit that only comes from God when you are connected with Christ. Paul's prayer is that they will be filled with this fruit. Why? Why? So God may be glorified. That's why. All of this prayer, while it encapsulates the church, is ultimately all about God's glorifying. And that's what the church is about. We're here to reach people. We're here to do all those things. But ultimately, it's about our love for him and our worship of him. Guys, God has made us holy. He has confidently started something in us that he will bring to completion. God's heart for you is to abound in love and to know the truth and do what is excellent. So that on one day, the day, when you stand before him, you will be pure and blameless, filled with righteousness, so that we may bow the knee and glorify our Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Father, we just we want to thank you for this incredible gospel. I want to thank you for lives across this room that have been changed by grace that has abounded towards us. Lord, when we were without hope, when we had no way of saving ourselves, Lord, you came and met with us. You gave us the faith to make a decision for you, knowing that what you started, hallelujah, you will bring through to completion. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room who knows you. Father, that you would encourage them. I pray that you would strengthen them. 
I pray that they would know the joy of knowing you in all circumstances, no matter what happens. Lord, that we would be a people that would glorify your name. Hallelujah. Amen.